0: Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, and we're going to start with the big announcement yesterday from the U.S. Treasury that they're going to add seven additional policies to the rental assistance program. And for those that don't know what that program is, it's this big, giant pile of money that the Fed has already allocated money for, and the Feds then give those money, or give, gives... <laughs> gives that money, there we go, gives that money to state and local governments to then dole out the money accordingly. And not a bad idea. The problem is the money's not going out. And the Biden administration is blaming state and local governments. And state and local governments are saying, hey, we're trying to reduce possible fraud. And so now we got the US Treasury saying, here, maybe this will help. The situation so they got seven new policies that they're hoping is going to get that money out there faster and there's a reason why they're doing this so one obviously they want to get the money out there but there's an immediate reason as to why they're doing this so number one we have self-attestation i think i'm saying that right can be used in documenting each aspect of a household's eligibility for the program state and local programs may also rely on self-attestation Attestation alone to document household income eligibility during the public health emergency. Number three, state and local grantees may advance assistance to landlords and utility providers based on estimated eligible areas. Four, state and local grantees may also enter into partnerships with nonprofits to deliver advance assistance to households at risk of eviction, even while their application is being processed. Number five, grantees may also make additional rent payments to landlords that take on tenants facing major barriers to securing a lease, meaning those who have been evicted or experienced homelessness in the past year. Six, past arrears at previous addresses may be covered. And finally, number seven, a tenant's costs associated with obtaining a hearing or appealing an order of eviction may be covered with the funds as an eligible other Expense. So if you're asking yourself, why are they making these changes now? Well, the answer is simple. They have to. However, even though the answer is simple, it's still kind of a two parter. So the first part the rental assistance program still basically for a back of a letter term sucks. (laughs) <laughs> the Treasury tried to kind of make a boast in this press release and that they've distributed nearly $1.7 billion in rental and utilities assistance. That's a 15% increase from the houses served in June to July. And oh, they're just patting themselves on the back. Yeah, $1.7 billion helped a lot of families, no doubt about it. But when you realize that 89 percent of that 46.5 billion that has been allocated didn't get spent, all of a sudden that 1.7 billion doesn't look that impressive. So that's one of the main reasons, is that here we are a few months after all of this concern about the money not being spent, and it turns out, the money's not being spent, but the second reason is probably a bigger one. And that's the Supreme Court of the United States. We've talked about this before, but the Biden administration has made it very clear that they are well aware that the Supreme Court is not going to rule in their favor when it comes to a decision on the eviction moratorium. Thanks to Kavanaugh's opinion, we know exactly where they stand. It does not take a constitutional scholar to figure this out. Now, since this ruling is inevitable, the New York Times reports that the administration is turning to state courts which adjudicate tenant-landlord disputes to help deliver aid by pressuring landlords to accept federal payments instead of proceeding with the evictions and educating tenants who often have no legal representation in court on their right to apply for assistance. I mean, one of the biggest problems with this whole plan, and I understand why they did it, but one of the biggest problems is that you need tenants to, in a lot of cases, start the process of getting the landlord the money. And the reality is is that who's gonna stay on the phone for hours to get your landlord money? Most tenants already don't like their landlord, and they're like, I'm not going to help that person out. And hey, I know they can't evict me because of the eviction moratorium. And so that's one of, the, I think, the major flaws of this program. And that's why I was kind of happy to see that one of the new changes in policy is going to be they're going to allow state and local governments to start giving money to these landlords. As long as they you know fit into a certain area without the tenant, I guess, having to get involved. That's going to help out a lot because like i said i mean what tenant is going to be like oh here i'm Leaking on the phone for a few hours and help my landlord out (laughs) it's just it's not gonna happen so this will hopefully help out with the situation but this money's just not going out i mean i'm hoping i mean so if we're giving out two billion dollars a month and we have 48 or 46 billion that's what 20 months I'm hoping we're not going to be in this pandemic for another 20 months. So if the money's available, landlords need it. Get that money out. Okay, let's go. And they're still not doing it. And man, when that's when that decision from the Supreme Court comes down, that that's not going to be good. So come on, let's get on it. I know the Biden administration's got a lot going on, but there's a lot of people that work in the administration. Get somebody on this and fix this situation. Have somebody communicating with these state and local governments to get this money to the landlords who need it so they don't get foreclosed on, so they're not facing issues with people living in substandard housing because landlords can't afford maintenance to win-win for everyone involved. Um, all right. Let's get to some good news. Mortgage demand jumps 1.6% for the week. That according to the latest Mortgage Bankers Association weekly survey, the refi index was up 1% from the previous week and was 3% higher than the same week one year ago. The purchase index increased 3% but was 16% lower than the same week one year ago. And interestingly enough, not surprisingly, I should say, this coincided, this jump in demand coincided with the first drop in rates that we have seen in three weeks. The 30-year fixed average contract rate fell three basis points to 3.03%, and the 15-year also fell three basis points to an average contract interest rate of 2.38%. Now, the refinance share of mortgage activity remained unchanged from the previous week, stands at 67.3% of total applications. Now, Joe Kahn, MBA's Associate Vice President of Economic and Industry Forecasting, said the jump in purchases could be a good sign for first-time homebuyers, saying, quote, the purchase index was at its highest level since early July, despite still continuing to lag 2020's pace. There was also some easing in average loan size, which is potentially a sign that more first time home buyers looking for lower priced homes are being helped by the recent uptick in for sale inventory for both newly built homes and existing homes. So, potentially. <laughs> so, if you're a first time home buyer, now might be the time to start looking again in the market. Now, we know that there are signs that things are beginning to soften, there's no doubt about that, but the latest weekly data from Redfin shows that home demand continues to soften, but prices continue to move higher. Like I said, this is according to the Redfin Weekly Housing Report. On average, 5.1% of homes for sale each week had a price drop which is the highest level since the four-week period ending October 13th, 2019. That's a long time ago. 2019. So that's showing you that we are starting to see some maybe reality with regards to people pricing their houses in this current marketplace. But the median home sale price increased 16% Year-over-year, year, it's now at 361225 Even though prices are still on an upward trajectory, the signs of a slowdown continue to grow. So it's not just the drop in prices for homes that are listed. The asking prices of newly listed homes was up 10% from the same time a year ago to a median of $351,730. That's the lowest level since mid-April, and is down 2.7% from the all-time high that we saw set back in June. Uh, Another indicator, homes that sold were on the market for a median of 18 days, which, of course, is down from a year ago, but is up from the all-time low of 15 days that we saw in late June and July. So prices still going up. But maybe not at the pace that some think, based on some of these uh, drops in uh, asking prices that we are seeing. Redfin chief economist Daryl Fairweather said it was still very much a buyer's market, saying in a statement, "Demand for homes is making a comeback because even though home prices are high and competition is still steep, home buyers don't have many alternatives but to keep." Trying And while some of them have left the market, as we talked about yesterday, they've gone to the rental market. So they do have some alternatives, but if someone wants to buy, they really do want to buy. And so in a lot of cases, they kind of got to stick with it. And I appreciate you sticking with me on this Thursday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. You guys have a great Thursday. I'll see you back here Friday morning. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.